Welcome, Jakob and Alex. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of our podcast. The topic today is sustainability management and sustainability regulation. And we have co-authored a report, the Sustainability Management Monitor, a collaborative project between the Bettelsmann Foundation, the Peer School for Sustainable Development, and our Chair of Sustainable Business. And in this session, I would like to talk about some of the results with you. But maybe before we delve into that, I would like to give you the opportunity to tell us a bit about yourselves. And maybe, Jakob, you can go ahead first. Maybe you can tell us what your role is at the Bettelsmann Foundation and what your path was that led you there. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Laura. And thank you for the invitation, first of all. Um, it's a pleasure to talk um, about the importance of the sustainability management uh, monitor, the future goals and the background of our uh, joint project. Um, who am I? Um, I've been working for several years as a project manager at the Battlesmond Foundation. Um, and since we are an operational um, foundation, we carry out projects independently and with partners. Um, in the last years, I've been working um, in the field of corporate responsibility um, and corporate citizenship. And um, since we repositioned the, the foundation as of the 1st of January um, and slightly changed our focus in the economics department, um, there is now a new project. Um, I'm working on methods of sustainable value creation um, of companies to get a holistic view of performance um, and to make sustainable aspects of corporate governance more decision relevant. Great. I'm also really interested in that project. And maybe we can come back to that a bit later. Alex, can you take over? I think we have known each other for roughly 15 years now. Yeah, we went back to university when you were still living <laughs> on campus as a <laughs> employee of the of the chair in marketing in Bochum. Um, and I was a, a young student and trying to sneak my way into the um, <laughs> room to find out what the questions for the tests are. Um, it never worked with you, though. It was always too hard. <laughs> no, um, basically, since then, I've been working in sustainability management. I have did it in, in, in Asia and, and Central Europe. Um, and I started my first job as a consultant, and I pretended that I knew everything about sustainability. And that's basically the start with this uh, peer school kind of – it didn't start there, but it kind of formulated there because – Every time at conferences, at these big sustainability conferences, you've got 600 people and everybody's chatting and going to these workshops and seminars and everything. But I always loved the coffee break because you could ask stupid questions and go, how the hell do you write a sustainability report? <laughs> and people go, just, yeah, you just write it down. But nobody tells you the secret, the secret ingredients behind it. You know, like, how do you really get the CEO to write a statement and not the PR guy who's going to write something a total BS, yeah. You, you want the real stuff, so and that's where the peer school kind of came from, and I, I that's where I learned to, to be a sustainability guy, right? I've been doing it now for uh, 10, 12 years in large corporates, medium centers, enterprises, and I do it still at full time. Um, I got massive problems with sustainable finance and, and and real estate and all this, and I have to ask new stupid questions. And this is how um, we founded this peer school um, about I don't know three, four, five years ago. Formally, we were 16 people. Uh, the three of us are actually founders. I'm really, very proud that we're still working together. Um, and we still got that mentality. You can ask any stupid question and how the hell do you do it? And this is why I love the sustainability management monitor because it goes 
directly through those guys and girls who have the clue and we ask those what what's what and why do they make so much money maybe you can tell us a bit more about the peer school because many of our listeners <laughs> yeah. might not have heard about it so what is the peer school so um, basically you got large inter institutional networks like uh, a company becomes part of a network but it's always the company so it changes a lot the people the actors and it's always very formal you got to wear a tie and a suit and everybody's very formal the peer school is basically the cheeky guys sitting at the coffee table and asking the stupid questions so we're now nearly 70 sustainability um, professionals all full-time working as a professional um, sustainability managers in germany in, in france in, in denmark and in south america all german speaking we come together very informal sometimes we drink a lot of beer um, it helps to get down to the real stuff forget the, all the powerpoint slides we actually have a we don't use powerpoints because it always gets us too much stuck into the PR department. We're trying to really harvest what we started at the coffee table, asking the true questions, how do you do it? When you got a um, materiality matrix, what's your next step? I know we had a 90-minute session with 22 people sitting in the room having this wonderful, really expensive materiality matrix of a, of a large, large corporate. And the guy sitting there goes, What the hell do I do with it? Yeah, right? So it's something like these are very simple questions we go in and then we go deep, right? We really find out what, what's what and how's how and um, find out what's the secret ingredients. And it helps that we are very informal. We're very secret about it. So when we enter a room, we don't talk about it after we leave the room, right? And this is the first time with the sustainability management, we looked into the room and we didn't say who's in the room, but we kind of told what happens. And um, that's always the secret source we kind of kind of help, and um, that's why we call it us the peer school. So it's this, um, we we call ourselves scholars. So we're people who learn, but we teach because I know stuff about well, how do you make a materiality matrix, but I have no clue about sustainable finance. But we got a couple of banker dudes, and we're gonna I'm gonna ask them and go, hey, how do you do it? I got a, a billion euros on, on a thousand accounts. How do I make that more sustainable? And this is this is basically what the peer school is. You ask honest questions and you get honest answers, but you don't say who actually told you. You just kind of get better while doing it and ask the question again and again. So what happens at the peer school stays at the peer school. <laughs> yeah. so, First rule of the peer school. <laughs> yeah. Don't talk Jakob, about the peer school. How how did this happen then? Like from the peer school that we just heard about, how did this monitor start? Maybe you can tell us a bit about the story here. Um, yes, uh, thank you for, for this question, of course. Um, the starting point was, I think, one year or, yeah, a little bit more than, than yeah, was last April, March. Um, we sat together um, and we were thinking about how to um, accompany the socio-ecological transformation of the companies in the next year. Because the next year, well, the next 10 years will be um, very important um, in determining whether the transformation succeeds or not. So um, we have all the new legislation from the European level. We have a new and greener government now in, in Germany. And all this against the backdrop of major challenges, the climate change uh, to stay within the, the planetary boundaries and the conflicting goals that increasing sustainability entails in terms of social participation, growth and prosperity and civil liberties. Um, 
So uh, we sat together and asked ourselves what is needed to reflect this new movement um, and the new methods um, and approaches of sustainability management um, from a company perspective. Um, so the, the sustainability management monitor is a tool um, to accompany the sustainable transformation of the economy evidence-based um, to check at which point in the transformation the companies are located and to have the right data to do so. So our first study from November last year, it was a bit of a pilot study to find out if that is the right approach, um, whether this meets the interests of the target group um, and the survey and the finally the publication turned out to be much bigger than, than we thought um, and than expected. Um, on the one hand, this is due to the very good cooperation of our team, of you, Alex and, and Laura, and to your excellent work. On the other hand, I think it's because of the importance of the topic and the wide range of new approaches and um, legislation companies face. So... Um, looking at the sustainability transformation, collecting evidence right from the people who are responsible for this transformation, right? The sustainability managers. Maybe, Alex, you just told us a little bit about this community of sustainability managers. Yeah. Um, when, when you look at this report, like what are the things that would be most surprising or interesting to this community? What can we learn from the report? Like what is really new, what we haven't seen before or known before? Um, I remember 10 years ago, um, we were all asking or begging the, the, the politicians to put in some regulations. We, all, we wanted to have a level playing field, right? Because if our competitors didn't do it, why would our boss decide to do it, right? Why, why was their investment? And there's still, you can still see it. There's not a big match between sustainability and a business case. I, I don't get I'm working in that field like I always had a business case. I don't get it why it doesn't work. I don't know. But um, you can now see that the EU, the nationals, the, the sometimes city-states, all are pushing from the um, public side very, very strongly. And the monitor shows us it's there. The companies or the, the CSR guys see that the politicians are in, in, in giving a lot of pressure. The, the, um, the sea level is way on top of it. And... What I, I, I have filled out thousands of these reports. The customers are asking for it. The B2B customers are asking for it. B2C, probably a different story. But you saw it that uh, the chemical industry, the automotive industry, they kind of led very strongly. Ecovalis was put in. You had the ratings and all this, the, the indicators and all that. It, it really trickled through. Um, and I worked a lot in, in IT hardware department or companies even us in the supply chain ecosystem, very, very, very on the side, we had to fill out all this stuff, right? So it came kind of through, and, it, and this is reflected now in the monitor. You can see it. What I found interesting, um, we, had, we have all these anecdotes um, in the peer school. I mean, we were doing peer learning. We, we are very open what we talk about. And lots of us told the story where the young generation sits at the table and goes, hey, dad, hey, mom, Is your company sustainable? Are you? What are you doing, right? What are you doing? That it's Fridays for Future. The, the movement was huge. We asked that question. We kind of, we kind of hit it a little bit between the C level and the investors and all these guys. 
that didn't pop up that strongly. It's more anecdotal. So it's not reflected in the data, but it's more anecdotes and it still had a big push. That's what I heard from from in, within our community. All right. So, but I see that the regulation kind of is moving in. We got this level playing field, and now it's at some. I'm really looking forward to see what happens in the next years because at some point everybody's going to be very transparent. The SDGs put in uh, a goal system so we can come into kind of a competition and say, hey, I put 12% on goal number 13, only 5% on number goal goal number 16 or whatever, and I can really compete with my my competitors and i'm i'm really looking forward to see that be reflected in the next monitors so i'm re- we haven't got it in there yet but it's it's will it will turn up i hope <laughs> right so before we go to future forecasting maybe let's stick with a couple of the things yeah. that you raised you said the pressure is up we see a momentum that we haven't seen um so far yeah. and you mentioned this trickle through or trickle down effects and maybe Jakob um, I can turn to you to explain that a bit more because in the report there is also a really nice quote from your side where you say uh, the regulation that is coming up now uh, be it the EU taxonomy or supply chain laws or you know everything that is related to CSRD reporting it will affect all companies even though at the beginning it might only be affecting a smaller you know, group of very big companies. So maybe you can explain these trickle-down effects a bit more. Like, what does that mean and how does that happen and how do you observe that in the markets? Um, yes, I, I can. Um, probably, or I try to. <laughs> well, um, the idea is is relatively easy to understand, I think. We asked in the in the sustainability management monitor different questions and one question was how essential are the following drivers for the transformation of your company Um, and we had possible answer options to choose and we found that the second most important driver for the transformation was um, the business clients Um, the most important driver was the executive board and the internal management which um, makes absolutely sense um, because the main driving force behind a sustainable transformation are the decisions of the management. But then we expected to see um, the public um, probably as a driving force, the customers or probably um, the investors, but um, it was the business clients um, in second. Um, And that matches with the assumption um, that when you regulate big companies to comply with certain standards and they need also to report on that. These companies are forced to get um, specific data they need um, and they get the data um, on their supply chain as well. That means from their business clients, um, which are usually smaller companies that would not be directly affected by the regulation. Um, That means regulation is passed on within the economic value chain. And that is a very welcome or, yeah, welcome side effect um, politics has in mind um, when regulating at first um, the bigger companies. And when we talk about this new regulation that is uh, implemented at the moment, um, I just mentioned the EU taxonomy or human rights due diligence laws or the new reporting duties. Uh, from the report, do you see difference with regard to how much you know confusion or you know irritation it causes in the markets? Like, um, how do the firms react, and what is your observation? Also, how fast these trickle down effects happen? Um, well, we. 
first, I think we need to distinguish um, the new regulations. Um, there is, on the one hand, the, the CSRD. Um, we know the content and scope of CSRD is under discussion right now in different working groups at EFRAC, European Financial Advisory Group. And probably we see um, at the end of the year a final proposal for the detailed directive, which will be the follow-up of the NFRD. Um, the non-financial reporting directive, which is binding for bigger capital market oriented companies since I think, and I think it's 2017, uh, but I'm not sure. So bigger companies are used to report on their ESG performance. It will get interesting because that new directive will affect also smaller companies and the content to report will be much more detailed. The EU taxonomy has entered uh, into force, I think, on the 1st of January this year. Um, and I just read today that the decision of the Commission is made um, that nuclear power and gas should be classified as sustainable. <laughs> Very interesting from a, from a German perspective, actually. Um, uh, when you read interviews with uh, France CEOs or French CEOs, um, yeah, they have a different perspective. However one feels about it, um, it's an instrument to channel private capital towards the green transformation. And if that works, it's not yet decided. And there's a lot of critic around that instrument. The supply chain law um, enters into force next January um, and corporations with more than 3,000 employees have certain obligations to be held accountable um, of their supply chain. The big picture, um, I think, is that there will be a lot of regulation coming towards corporations. Um, some will need more resources to fulfill the requirements, um, some less. Um, taken together, one could say that social and ecological as aspects of corporate governance um, are getting more important and companies are obliged to take care of that. In our survey, um, we found that companies are especially insecure with uh, implementation um, of the supply chain law and the taxonomy. And yeah, when you read the newspaper, when you see what's, what's going on, uh, the discussions in those two regulations, it's absolutely understandable. Um, I think companies would need clear policies for reliable planning. And that is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if we look back um, just a couple of years, I think some of us would have been very surprised, right? If somebody would have told us uh, in 2021, 22, you will see this and that rule coming up. So I think it's great, the momentum that we are observing at the moment, right? And the, the movement that goes along with it. Um, Alex, in the report, there is a quote where you say that we are just at the beginning of this whole transformation and that there is more to come. So you already started to do a little bit of forecasting earlier. Maybe you can do that now and, and tell us if you should like now describe the next five, ten years of the sustainability transformation. Um, what do you think will happen in an opportunity, like in a um, positive scenario? What could be, you know, a more negative scenario? What is your view? So um, I think, I mean, if you look at the standard financial accounting, it took about 100 years to, to build a, a system that kind of works, where people sit down and they got these 
they they move up their their, um, their sleeves, right? And then they got this this little hat on, and they go open the big book, and they do the accounting. This is still in my head how the accountants work, right? Um, it took a hundred years. Sustainability reporting. How long does it take? Eight, ten? I don't know. Let it, let's say it's like 15, 20 years. So it's it's still an infant, right? We're still at the beginning. And every time you put in new rules and regulations, people are confused because you they got a new word in it and they go, how do they mean that? Do you, and then you got some um, consultancies who inter- interpret how do you do it? How do you do this? Do you do that? And then the other guy comes along and oh, expert comes along and says, hey, you got to do it like that, right? So we're still in this phase of actually finding how we do it and new regulations come along and we'll, we'll we'll still struggle a bit with that i think the next years but as i mentioned we're now talking about that a couple of hundred thousand companies in europe have to report the same way so there will be it will all look the same there's will be no differentiation between the reportings so you can look at a report and go oh yeah page seven right you open it up and go, oh, yeah, there it is, right? It's going to be it, – it's not – I'm not going to say it's going to be the same, but it's going to be very similar. So mm-hmm. we're going to see um, – and if the mark mechanisms work, and, and if we can find that out, that companies are going to start pushing. So they're going to try and, and, and be cheeky. They're going to be smart. They're going to be real good businesses finding the more sustainable way – and it's not probably not nuclear power um, – <laughs> to make a good business. And And I think – what uh, you see a lot of companies, I mean, Siemens was one of the first companies who pushed, they had their, what is, I don't want to say the wrong one, value to society approach, where they calculated what is the business case of their um, uh, wind farms or their wind turbines or something. And that made up 23% of their business. So they were cal- calculating the business case. And this was done in Germany. And plus, and the Siemens guys told me, well, yeah, those guys are the other country and that, that country. And it, it kind of spread within the corporate. So, I mean, Siemens is huge. But we now see that lots and lots of companies see their business case and the reporting is a side project. So it's just telling the story what actually happens or just checking boxes sometimes, right? But I think what we'll see in the next years is more business cases, a stronger perception and kind of that the companies who are so intertwined between each other push each other. If you work with Siemens, you've got to fulfill the GRI standard, blah, 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 blah. If you don't have a gold standard EcoBardis rating, you can't work with Carglass or whatever, right? And it becomes, in every department, a topic. I remember, what was it, like seven years ago or something, we talked to the, there was a new standard for sustainable procurement. And all these guys are like, procurement, it's all about money. And it still is. But three years ago, I stood in Frankfurt by chance and all these procurement, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about sustainable procurement. I'm like, what? What, what happened? W- when does the shift come? And it came. And it came quick because the guys and girls had the, the pressure to buy sustainable stuff. Sometimes there's nothing sustainable to buy. and But you then you buy the least worse, right? So there is a trend. And I, we saw in the monitor that it's not down to every department. I think that will change in the next years if they want mm-hmm. it or not. It's like the digitalization. COVID made everybody digital. If they wanted or not, they were just out if they didn't didn't hop on a Zoom call, right? So I think at some point that will happen. I think it will um, move back a little bit um, because there's still other topics. But I'm really looking forward to the next 10 years because I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Not with the reporting stuff. That's boring as hell. (laughs) Interesting summary. I think the value to society was BSF though, right? 
Um, All right, yeah. yeah I don't. I'm but I, I really, that. I really like how you describe that we are like in the middle of this process, right? And I recently read uh, an article that said that uh, times of crises were actually, from a historical perspective, in many cases, breakthrough uh, times in accounting systems, right? So it could be yeah. this time also where we experience a very intense crisis, right? That that opens up windows for change, right? So. Um, yeah. Speaking of new methods and accounting systems, uh, maybe, Jakob, we can talk a bit about one of your favorite topics. And uh, you know that it's also one of my favorite topics, um, <laughs> impact measurement and valuation. And I know that you are working on it intensively. And we also had a section in our report on that topic. So we have had a couple of interviews here in the podcast series already on impact measurement and valuation. Maybe you can give us your perspective after all that you have done now, like the last years. How do you see this topic emerging? And what is your view? Like, what are the potential benefits uh, it brings to our economy and society? What are potential problems? Where are the weaknesses currently? And so on. Yes, um, thank you. Um Yeah, I we we started a new project um, on this topic one month ago, so I'm working on this a little bit. Um, but I'm not the expert um, you are, um, I think. But I'm yeah, I'm doing my best. Um, so um, yeah, we started a project, and uh, actually we're looking for an intern and a project manager. <laughs> so if there's someone out there who is interested, just give me a call. But back to your back to your question. Um, I think when you ask yourself um, why we are in this situation of global warming, why biodiversity is rapidly decreasing and why we pollute the air and the oceans, um, there are two main reasons. Um, first, uh, the economy is built on a massive resource consumption that affects future generations' ability to have the same possibilities we have right now. And we use different resources as there would be as they would be endless. Um, And I think there are too little incentives in our economic system to take in, to take that into account. Um, that's probably the, the tragedy of the commons um, concept. Um, the second um, point is um, we are not aware of the of the societal impact of the production and use of different products and services of the whole life cycles. Um, um, and the ecosystem bears many of the costs of the production process and usage of products, and so indirectly society does. These external costs need to be assessed and taken into account by decision makers and companies. And the society needs to know which business models have what kind of impact on society. So um, to keep it short, um, we need to address impact measurement And management, um, I learned the, the, the difference between the impact measurement, impact management. Um, probably um, I should um, use another um, phrase for the, for the new project. It's <laughs> impact measurement um, and make management possible, make impact <laughs> management possible, something like that. Um, so we need to address this in our economic system. We need to set the right incentives to internalize negative externalities. Um, and I think there is no alternative to an impact economy um, where much more information is available, available to make um, the right decisions. 
Speaking of information being available, Alex, you said earlier that, you know, when you look into the future, you see the situation where everybody is transparent, everybody's reporting. Uh, there will be probably other fields in which you have to differentiate, right, from uh, from other companies. What would you say if we look at this whole sustainability transformation? What are the, let's say, three things or, you know, more or less is also okay uh, uh, that we need on the way to a really sustainable economy um there's a there's a guy in uh, nuremberg he wrote a book about it you have to look at the greed of the people that's why i said business case this is uh, i don't know um how you translate it um that's, i don't know the title he wrote a whole book about it about how you put a business case and sustainability together and I, if you talk about that you get nearly every one of these the, this the corporate executives the middle management, especially the middle management, you need these guys uh, and girls who are really leading the teams and the and the and the businesses um, to understand that it, it makes sense business wise because they still look at the cash and the end of the, and they look at their bonus, they look at their car, they look at everything, right? What it's we're still there. So um, if we find a business case and push that, it's not always going to be a huge business case. And I think that's going to be a change, right? We have to understand we don't have to grow every time. But if it's an honest and good business, and, and I think the second thing is, um, it's really weird to say that, but we don't need more sustainability managers. We need less. At some point, we all have to get rid of ourselves. Um, I, I told that to my, my first boss. He said, Alex, where do you want to be in 10 years? I said, no, I'm not going to be a sustainability manager because I'm going to be finished. We're not there yet. We're not How nearly finished yet. How many years is that ago? <laughs> yeah, a lot of time ago. He hated me anyway. <laughs> I always told him he's unsustainable. Um, but but that is, I think, so a business case, business-wise, to really put it in, in every department, get in there, and make, just make it the new normal, right? Not just sitting at home on Zoom calls as a new normal, but as the, it's a sustainable and an honest and it's a good business case, right? And the second part is not to outsource. And we already see that. It's, it's moving all the sustainability guys are moving into the strategy um, department. So, And we've got to get rid of the sustainability people. And just that's why if uh, a student comes along and says, I want to work in sustainability, but I'm a, a salesperson, I say, great, forget the sustainability part. Just be an honest and good salesperson or a procurement or distribution or whatever. Just be that. You don't have to be a sustainability person. Just be sustainable in your normal job. And if we, we come to that state, um, I think we're going to be on a really good path. Very good point. So we're already coming to the end of this session. And I always have this last question for our guests. And of course, I also would like to ask you to, to give me a, a response to this question. So if you could post one sentence on social media, which the whole world would read, <laughs> What would it be? Jakob, do you want to go ahead first? <laughs> well, actually, I, I thought about, uh, I thought a lot about this question. Um, <laughs> I, I had, yeah, um, which, which wise sentence uh, should I shout out to the world? And actually, I think um, it's not helpful um, to shout out one a very important, very wise sentence or recommendation uh, into the um, the social media bubble out there. Um, <laughs> on the contrary, I think it's necessary to start making wise and sustainable decisions in our own lives and change our own behavior step by step. Um, that would be my um, agenda or my um, shout out, uh, not on social media. Yeah. That's a nice one. <laughs> And Alex. 
I just found out I didn't read all the questions, <laughs> so I couldn't prepare. Um, but thank you, Jakob, that I had a little bit of time. Um, I think I would say just just find your little sustainable rebel, and 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 begin the good fight. Tiny tiny little things. If you if you think it's wrong that your intern gets paid nothing and works brutally, change that. It starts there, right? And if you if you do that for the next generation, and if that intern says thank you and say, hey, don't give it back to me, give it to, back to the next person. And maybe there's a ripple effect. So look at the little inner, internal rebel and just kind of fight the good fight. And um, yeah, and we see that it, it, it materializes. So it works. That's a really nice closing. Um, I hope you didn't refer to the intern of Jakob. <laughs> <laughs> maybe let's see, let's see what he gets paid. <laughs> so... Guys, thank you so much for the time you took to join us today. And thanks also for our audience. Um, and I would say I really enjoyed the session. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day and talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you, Laura. You. Bye.